Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Good morning and welcome to the third and final hour of Africa Rise and Shine here on Channel Africa. We are broadcasting from an African perspective. I'm Kumbero Mujerere. Coming up on the show this hour, UN chief calls for a global plan to reverse unfair vaccine access. COVID-19 vaccine rollout gets underway across South Africa. In economics, Namibia told to return two of its biggest planes. And in sports, Springbok captain Siako Lisi unveiled as the Sharks' latest signing. And of course, today is the Gambia's Independence Day. All these stories coming up on the show. But first, the news with N. Musa. SABC News independent and impartial from an african perspective amen musa good morning south africa's health ministry says the rollout of the johnson and johnson coronavirus vaccine is being expedited for healthcare workers to ensure that they are protected ahead of the anticipated arrival of the third wave of the virus in winter nandika bukis has more the ministry has issued a statement saying healthcare workers are being prioritized at this stage as they are most at risk of contracting the coronavirus. Healthcare workers are urged to register with the electronic vaccination data system. They will then receive an SMS which they must respond to and then provide consent. The workers will receive a vaccination voucher and communication when a vaccine center is ready to administer their dose. South Africa's Justice Minister Ronald Lamola has warned against verbal attacks directed at judges. He says if they are not followed with facts and conclusive investigations, the verbal assaults can erode the confidence of society in the judiciary. This comes after the Military Veterans Association, the MKMVA, expressed support for former President Jacob Zuma, who has refused to obey a subpoena to appear before Justice Raymond Zondo at the State Capture Commission. Minister Lamola was taking part in the debate on the state of the nation address in parliament attacks and allegations and conspiracies against the judiciary can erode the confidence of society in the judiciary if not followed up with facts and conclusive investigations they must not be spurious allegations against the judiciary there is nothing wrong to give fair criticism against judgments and against decisions of the judiciary but it must be informed by facts and not conspiracies. Four pastors in central Mozambique's Manica province have been arrested for holding religious services with more than 50 people in attendance in violation of COVID-19 restrictions. They may be punished with sentences ranging from 3 to 15 days in prison or a fine. Mozambique has seen a surge in coronavirus cases since the festive period. Staying in Mozambique, the president, Philippe Nussi, <coughs> excuse me, has met and forgiven two young men who had abused him on social media for imposing a coronavirus nighttime curfew. The, ter- the two were detained last month after posting the video insulting the president. The two apologized to President Nussi after he explained that the curfew was aimed at reducing the spread of the virus in urban areas. One of them urged young people to join the government's efforts in the fight against this pandemic. The other said social media should be used in such efforts. 
And finally, a huge winter storm sweeping across the southern U.S. has killed at least 21 people and left millions without power. There have been widespread blackouts in Texas where the energy grid was overwhelmed by a surge in demand. Dozens of people in the state, uh, state which rarely experiences such low temperatures have been burning their furniture to stay warm. The extreme weather is forecast to continue until the weekend. The U.S. Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayakas says the emergency management agency has responded well. It has supplied 60 generators to hospitals, water facilities and uh, other operations. It has provided blankets, water, meals uh, for the state to distribute and of course our president has approved an emergency declaration for uh, the state. That's the news headlines at 7.30 Central African Time. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. You are listening to Africa Rise and Shine here on Channel Africa from an African perspective. I'm Kumbero Munjerere. Today, the Gambians are celebrating Independence Day. On this day in history, Gambia became the 36th African nation to gain independence. Gambia, of course, is the smallest nation on the African continent and one of the few countries in West Africa that has enjoyed extended periods of political stability since its independence. Gambia officially became a republic on the 24th of April 1970. The name Gambia comes from the river Gambia that divides the country into two almost equal halves. We say happy Independence Day to the Gambians. When I think back to my childhood, geographically, it reminds me of a time where I was black and only black and only struggling, but at the same time, always reaching for something more, something bigger in a South Africa that was hostile. Hello, Africa. This is 1000 African Voices, and I'm your host, Avurengui. Join me on Channel Africa every Thursday morning between 8 and 9, and on Saturday and Sunday morning between 9 and 10. Rise, Africa, rise. Channel Africa, from an African perspective. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective. Uh, Just 10 countries have administered 75% of all COVID-19 vaccines globally. That is the stark figure presented by the United Nations Secretary General during a briefing to the Security Council on ensuring equitable access to COVID-19 vaccines in contexts affected by conflict and insecurity. Antonio Guterres called for the establishment of a global vaccination plan led by an emergency task force under the auspices of the G20 as countries led by the United Kingdom moved to introduce a new resolution that would establish ceasefires to allow for vaccinations of the 160 million people caught up in regions of insecurity. Sean Bryce Peace reports. 
A clarion call here that vaccines should be made a global common good. And while the rollout has created hope, the process, according to the UN chief Antonio Guterres, has been wildly uneven and unfair. Just 10 countries have administered 75% of all COVID-19 vaccines. Meanwhile, more than 130 countries had not received a single dose. And those affected by conflict and insecurity are at particular risk of being left behind. When pandemic strikes, we are only safe if everyone is safe. If the virus is allowed to spread like wildfire in the global south or parts of it, it will mutate again and again. A new variant could become more transmissible, more deadly, and potentially threaten the effectiveness of current vaccines and diagnostics. Guterres called for a global vaccination plan coordinated through a G20 emergency task force responsible for coordinating implementation and financing. The task force would include all countries with capacity to develop vaccines or to produce them if licenses are available, working with the World Health Organization and other technical and international financial institutions. As the UK urged council action that would create vaccine ceasefires in order to reach vulnerable population groups, listen to Foreign Secretary Dominic Raab. Further action is needed now by the council to call for ceasefires specifically to enable COVID vaccines to be carried out in those, effect, in those areas that have been uh, so badly affected by conflict. That's why we're proposing uh, a new resolution for this council's consideration. China's Foreign Minister Wang Yi warned against efforts to politicize the pandemic and called for vaccines to be a public good. This is a relay race of working together to save lives. It is not a zero-sum game where one's gain means the other's loss. Countries need to replace division with solidarity and keep to the right path of cooperation to tide over this trying time caused by COVID-19. We need to resist the prejudice, respect science and reject disinformation and attempt to politicize the pandemic. In this regard, members of the Security Council must lead by example. Striking a different posture, Washington's chief diplomat Antony Blinken committed his country to strengthening multilateral efforts, including at the World Health Organization, that was vilified by the previous administration. I'm pleased to confirm that by the end of the month, the United States intends to pay over $200 million, uh, in assessed and current obligations to the WHO. This is a key step forward in fulfilling our financial obligations as a WHO member. And it reflects our renewed commitment to ensuring the WHO has the support it needs to lead the global response to the pandemic, even as we work to reform it. The Gavi Vaccine Alliance called the issue of vaccine distribution the biggest stress test for the multilateral system in a generation. Listen to Gavi CEO, Dr. Seth Berkeley. It's critical that donors and countries step up with additional funding, that manufacturers prioritize multilateral initiatives over bilateral deals with short-term profit, stop inequitable vaccine diplomacy, that research and development and essential scientific knowledge is shared, and that the family of nations represented by the United Nations pull together and prepare for the largest logistical effort in immunization the world has ever seen. 
Council also heard that vaccine mistrust could undermine COVID-19 mitigation efforts as actions towards earning community trust remains a critical factor in overall responses, both at a national and international level. I'm Sherwin Bricepies in New York. Now, four cases of the new South African variant of COVID-19 have been reported in India. In addition to this, one tested positive for the Brazil variant in the first week of February. The Indian Council of Medical Research has found a total of 192 COVID-19 cases of the new variants of mutated SARS-CoV-2 in the last two months. Rana Sen has more from New Delhi. India will take all measures to isolate new mutants of the virus, announced Balram Bhargav of the Indian Council of Medical Research. But he added, as many as 187 people returning from Britain tested positive for the UK variant. We have about 187 cases of these variants. All confirmed cases are quarantined. In India, the strain has been detected in four South Africa returnees in January 2021, one from Angola, one from Tanzania, and two from South Africa. All travelers and contacts have been tested and quarantined. Monitoring at the airports would need multiple agencies as there were no direct flights from South Africa or Brazil. And Rajinder Parekh from Mumbai's Jatlok Hospital said no efforts should be spared as India was finally on the path of recovery. Now the cause for concern is that this is far more widespread than uh, one had seen earlier. One thing we should never forget that the virus is always two steps ahead of us. It is mutating constantly. The earlier UK variant, which was far more infective but not more dangerous, has now mutated again and we have new variants which are far, far more infective but also far more lethal. The South African variant can dodge antibodies produced by certain vaccines. And public health expert Rajinder Dhimija said the authorities must also focus on cases of reinfection as reported from Indian states such as Kerala and Maharashtra. If the human beings will keep on allowing the virus to uh, reproduce and uh, to multiply in our bodies, the virus will multiply as as well as will mutate. So obviously we need to aggressively control the spread of the virus between the human beings and that's only possible by the basic public health measures which we have been, you know, advocating for the last 12 months or so. So obviously we need to stop this transmissibility and we need to contain this virus transmission between the human beings. But easier said than done. In January, India began vaccinating its health workers as part of the world's biggest public health drive. But reports say many skipped their second jabs this month. Second dose is administered in a window of four weeks to six weeks. That's our official guideline. And therefore, because it is voluntary, healthcare workers are choosing to decide when to come within that window. And therefore, we are truly not worried. We have faith in our healthcare workers that they will return to take the second dose. That was VK Paul, the chairman of a national task force on COVID-19, hoping the attendance was likely to improve soon. You are listening to Africa Rise and Shine here on Channel Africa from an African perspective. Now to the breaking news out of Tanzania. The first vice president of Tanzania's Zanzibar Island, Saif Sharif Hamad, has reportedly died weeks after being hospitalized with COVID-19. 
Announcing the death, uh, Zanzibar's President Hussein Mwinyi said he had learned with great sadness of the passing of Hamad, a prominent politician who was also the chairman of the Alliance for Change and Transparency Party. He became the first person to declare his COVID-19 status in Tanzania since April 2020 as authorities dismissed the idea uh, the virus was present in the country. Of course, Hamad was, we know that he was challenging Mwini in the October polls in the election that the opposition claims was full of fraud. In December, Hamad was uh, uh, sworn in as the first vice president of Zanzibar as part of a unity government. Our deepest condolences to the people of uh, Zanzibar. It is 17 minutes after 7. You are listening to Africa Rise and Shine here on Channel Africa from an African perspective. The first COVID-19 vaccine doses have been administered to South African President Cyril Ramaphosa and Health Minister Zulim Kize, along with a group of healthcare workers at the Kailicha District Hospital in Cape Town. The Western Cape will be receiving 13,000 of the 80,000 Johnson & Johnson COVID-19 vaccines which have arrived in the country. Corbin August reports. President Cyril Ramaphosa has received a dose of the COVID-19 vaccine which is being rolled out in South Africa at the Kayalicha District Hospital in the Western Cape. Ramaphosa received the vaccination from a healthcare worker at the hospital. Health Minister Zweliam Kize has also received the dose. Ramaphosa says the launch of South Africa's COVID-19 vaccine rollout program represents a significant milestone in the country's history. He says the vaccine will assist greatly with the recovery of the country's healthcare system. This is a new era for us, and an era that will mean that, yes, we restore the health of our nation, and we do so with our health system or through our health system that is robust, that is gaining strength on an ongoing basis. Health Minister Zweli Mkize says the launch of South Africa's COVID-19 vaccine rollout will give hope and encouragement to the nation. He says the vaccine rollout is a sign that the country can beat the pandemic. After receiving his vaccination, Mkize thanked healthcare workers across the country for their hard work and dedication in fighting the COVID-19 pandemic. I want to thank our health workers. Our health workers have persevered and endured anxiety, panic, the risk, the threat of getting the infection and infecting their families. And what to say to them, we did say in the beginning, that they are our frontline warriors. We need them protected. We need them uh, uh, encouraged. We need to make sure that they are the ones who are safe so that our country can be safe. Our country has been saved because of their dedication and our commitment and our hard work. The first person in South Africa to get the Johnson & Johnson vaccine a nurse at the Kayalicha District Hospital in the Western Cape says at first she was nervous to get the jab, but now that she has, she feels relieved and has not yet experienced any adverse effects. Nurse Zoliswa Gidi Diosi was the first to be vaccinated. I'm Sister Diosi. I don't feel anything. I'm still Zoliswa. No side effects. Yes, I'm still okay. At first I was nervous, but yeah, I was happy. The trial vaccine is expected to be administered to healthcare workers across the country over the next two weeks as part of the vaccine's clinical trials.
I'm Coburn August in Cape Town. Now, the joint sitting of South Africa's National Assembly on Wednesday held the second day of the debate on the state of the nation address. Opposition political parties didn't mince their words in criticizing President Cyril Ramaphosa's administration, while the ruling party reiterated its stance in defending and strengthening law enforcement agencies, as well as cracking the whip on corruption. Lula Mamacha reports. Healthcare workers that will receive the vaccine would have registered on the Department of Health's electronic vaccination data system. When healthcare workers arrive at the facility, they will provide... Since Tuesday, President Ramaphosa has been listening to political parties debating his State of the Nation address. Ministers used the debate to address some of the issues that have been in the public domain. Justice and Correctional Services Minister... Ronald Lamula opened the debate and defended the judiciary. Attacks and allegations and conspiracies against the judiciary can erode the confidence of society in the judiciary if not followed up with facts and conclusive investigations. There must not be spurious allegations against the judiciary. There is nothing wrong to give fair criticism against judgments and against decisions of the judiciary. But it must be informed by facts and not conspiracies. Meanwhile, the Minister of Defense and Military Veterans, Nosivua Mapisa Ngakula, warned military veterans to be cautious and not to be used to sow divisions. She says military veterans must work alongside the defense force to make sure that there's peace and stability. In a country. Military veterans should never find themselves in situations where they are used to sow divisions of counter-revolution in a country. Military veterans are an investment of any country. Military veterans should strive all the time to ensure that there is peace and stability in a country alongside members of the Defense Force. In another development, the PAC leader Mzwane Lenyonzo believes that the president's address last week did not address the bread and butter issues. It continues to fail the dispossessed, the most exploited, the dehumanized, the African indigenous majority. The SONA failed dismally to address the fundamental interests of the African majority. Land remains an item of conflict in Azania and it must be repossessed and restored to its rightful owners. NFP parliamentary leader Sheikh Imam gave reasons why he believes that Ramaphosa will never win the fight against corruption. And let me say to you, Mr. President, why you cannot deal with corruption in South Africa. Corruption is deep-rooted. You cannot say to a member of your party, do not steal for yourself, but yet he can steal for his party. All political parties, wherever they govern, rely on these tenders and these procurement processes for survival. And I can assure you, if you close that gap in terms of procurement, all these political parties that depend on it will be liquidated in the first 12 months. The president will reply to the debate on Thursday. Lula Mamaikia in parliament. 
Members of a Parliament's Public Enterprises Committee are deeply unhappy about a fruitless and wasteful accommodation project at ESCOM to the tune of 840 million. ESCOM executives appeared before Parliament's Public Enterprise Committee to brief MPs on various issues. MPs heard that the cost of a project to provide accommodation for artisans working at the nearby Kusile power plant in Mpumalanga has rocketed from just over 260 million to 840 million with no benefit to the company. Zalin Merrington reports. The contract was awarded for just over 260 million rand in 2012 to build flats for artisans working at the Kusile power plant. By 2017, with a bill of over 600 million and nothing to show for it, a decision was made to pull the plug. ESCOM's head of generation, Beking Umalo, says ultimately the bill came to just over 840 million rand. In 2019, seeing the progress that was being made, the strategy then was approved by uh, EFSCO that uh, the, the, this project needed to be stopped. And then it was, it was seen that the cost that is going into it and the in- initial intended benefit was not going to be uh, realized. Uh, and then, and I think, Chair, also it's prudent to mention that the whole of this uh, 840 has been declared as a fruitless and wasteful expenditure. Members of the Portfolio Committee demanded answers. And we are only talking about the fruitless and risk expenditure in the year 2020-2021. Why is that? And why did ESCOM now in 2019, after the contract was long uh, cancelled, even knowing very well that that project had irregular expenditure, had fraud, had all those irregularities that you are mentioning, corruption and financial irregularities. Why did we go and appoint a private company to investigate that bombing Gelefile attorneys? Why did we contract them to investigate instead of taking the matter directly to the C- to the SIU? The consequence management, I, it's not the right one. I don't see a person who will in fact embezzle Quarry a sum of money and then be just dismissed. It could have been an instant arrest and the person goes to jail and we recover money. You can't move from a 264 million project to 840. Uh, That's absurd, Chair. It's very absurd. It means project management is not not, a... really um, taken well. The group CEO of ESCOM, Andre De Reiter, says they are in talks with other government departments to repurpose the flats. We are in advanced discussions with the Department of uh, Human Settlements uh, with a view to making available the Volga flats to uh, uh, distressed communities in the vicinity. Um, and they have confirmed in writing to us that they are um, keenly interested in pursuing this as an option. And we are therefore um, very pleased that that we should be able to find ultimately, in spite of this very deplorable over-expenditure on the project, that we will be able to find a useful purpose uh, for this particular um, project. 
On the issue of load shedding, the writer told MPs that they are making progress with a maintenance plan that could see a significant reduction in load shedding by April. Uh, we anticipate that by the time that uh, the 11 units that we have maintained, that when they return to service by April of this year, so the, the um, first wave should be finished by then, that we will be um, in a position where we can significantly reduce the risk of load shedding. And when the second tranche is completed, that we will then um, have uh, seen a step change in uh, reducing the risk of load shedding. It will not be entirely eliminated. There is a capacity shortfall that needs to be addressed by bringing more capacity online. But uh, then we will have uh, broken the back of the backlog in maintenance. And uh, that was uh, the group CEO of ESCOM, Andre Derater, ending that report by Zelin Merrington in uh, the South African Parliament. It is uh, almost uh, half past seven Central African time. We will get uh, the news headlines shortly with En Musa. Swiss chocolate wouldn't be Swiss chocolate without African cocoa. <laughs> you know, it's funny when you think about it that way because you realize just how important Africa is to the global economy. And as long as we are deemed to be inferior by the community out there, nothing's ever going to change. I believe it was one of the uh, ancient Greek philosophers who said that when we teach, we'll learn twice. Hello, Africa. Welcome to 1000 African Voices on Channel Africa. 1000 African Voices every Saturday morning at 9am with repeats on Sundays between 10 and 11 as well as on Monday morning between 3 and 4 Central African Time 1000 African Voices with me Aburengui C on Channel Africa the voice of the African Renaissance from an African perspective SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Good morning, I'm Anne Musa on the headlines. South Africa's health ministry says the rollout of the Johnson & Johnson coronavirus vaccine is being expedited for healthcare workers to ensure that they are protected ahead of the anticipated arrival of the third wave of the virus in winter. Four pastors in central Mozambique's Manica province have been arrested for holding religious services with more than 50 people in attendance in violation of COVID-19 restrictions. And a huge winter storm sweeping across the southern U.S has killed at least 21 people and left millions without power. Those are the stories making headlines. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. This is Africa Rise and Shine here on Channel Africa from an African perspective. I'm Kumbaru Mjerere. Good morning to you. South African-based advocacy group Corruption Watch has launched an interactive web-based tool called VESA that will enable the public to report any corruption or misconduct by members of the South African Police Service. It hopes that this will help curb corruption by law enforcement personnel. Corruption Watch says this is a response to the number of complaints they have been receiving from whistleblowers and communities about corruption and misconduct 
conduct by the SEPs. Pelma Gubane reports. Corruption Watch says numerous complaints from whistleblowers about allegations of corruption by police officers prompted it to create a platform where people can just log on and report any offences by law enforcement personnel. The offences could include anything from bribery to sextortion. Kavisha Pillay is Head of Stakeholder Relations and Campaigns at Corruption Watch. She says VESA is not a mobile app and you don't need data to log on to the website using a smartphone. We don't want this just to be sitting with a small group of people. We want widespread penetration of this tool um, in the most vulnerable communities so people can um, utilize its resources. Accessibility is a huge issue for us, and that's why, you know, now that we have the tool that's live, our next prioritization is making sure that it is data-free. You, you can just log on and be able to access, you can be able to report, um, and it's not going to charge you any data. The web-based tool features interactive maps of police corruption trends and hotspots as well as information on all the 1,150 police stations across the country. The interactive tool is designed to improve transparency and accountability in policing in the country. Police says it is an opportunity for the police to embrace the public access to information. She says it could build public confidence in the police. We do want to be able to sort of show the SAPs that this is how this can be useful for the, the, the SAPS as a whole. But we want them to be able to see that this is actually quite a useful resource for them as well. There's often there's this antagonism, there's the distrust that exists and putting this, this information in the public domain, we're hoping that it will start to bridge some of those gaps and facilitate more cooperative community policing. Visa also enables users to rate and review the overall service of police stations, compare resources of different stations. Gareth Newham is a researcher with the Institute of Security Studies. Use that information as a basis to have discussions at police stations in community policing forums. This is how many vehicles we have. This is how many people we have. Uh, This is why we're prioritizing the uh, resources we have because this is what you want or how should we prioritize resources. It really provides a very solid and and strong foundation to improve community policing in South Africa. Um, And certainly at a local level, use it themselves to start themselves actually telling the communities and the community policing forums use this tool because they can also get useful feedback, not only about potential corruption challenges that might be occurring in that precinct, but also that when their officers do good work and are ethical and professional and go beyond um, and above to help people, that people are encouraged to also you know, re- report that and say, I really got good service from Officer X or, or, or Officer Y. So it has a great potential to really give useful feedback to the police, to give the communities much more information and knowledge about what's going on at a local level, and then again at a provincial and national level. The VESA tool aims to strengthen the role of the public and civil society in calling for change in the SAPS. Pilma Kubani, SAPC News in Johannesburg. Now, many atrocities committed by headsmen in Nigeria dominated discussions in the National Assembly while the legislators took turns to condemn the various evil deeds of the headsmen. State governors from the northern part of the country took a tour to their counterpart in the southwest to discuss the issue. Channel Africa's correspondent in Lagos, Collins Nosa Atonghengbe, reports. 
Fulani herdsmen of foreign extraction have been herding cattle into Nigeria using the Trans-Sahara route through the northern part of the country. But recent developments have seen increases in insecurity, kidnapping, destruction of the economic mistake of Nigerians, rape, murder, and burning down of whole communities, thereby increasing the number of displaced persons within Nigeria. With increases in murder of kidnapped victims even after colony ransoms and destruction of farms, many communities began to give herders ultimatum to leave their domain. The others packed the through of violence which in turn gave rise to government's intervention at the state level while the Nigerian legislators made the issue a front burner in their debate just to find ways to prevent ethnic conflicts which the issues was fast becoming. Ogun State Governor Dakwa Abiodun wondered what could have led to the level where everyone is now put on their toes to seek avenues to avert a trend which could lead to a civil war in Nigeria. The question is what could have turned issues that hitherto had easy and workable templates for resolution to suddenly becoming seemingly intractable. And more worrisome is that this is taking an ethnic coloration. There are some of the questions we must find answers to at this parley. We must also come up with more practical recommendations towards finding lasting solutions. In whatever form, color or ethnic group, a criminal is a criminal. Before legislators and state governors took deeper interest in the development, many ethnic Fulanese came out with threats that asking herders to go away may cause a retaliation against Southerners living in the northern part of the country. The majority leader in the Senate, Inaya Abaribe, said no Nigerian was being driven away from any part of the country, but criminals are. No Nigerian is being sent away from anywhere. Criminals are being sent away from the forest where they are. And so, when we now come here and say, some people are sending people away, you send the wrong message out. The message is simple. Police, IG, has told us these are criminal elements coming from outside Nigeria. If somebody is a criminal and he is in the forest, what is he doing inside there? And in order to solve the problem, all criminal elements that are coming into this country from wherever they are must be flushed out. One reason they must be flushed out from their hideouts in the forest include the fact that they have abused the ECOWAS protocol on free movement of persons to now constitute a perennial criminal gangs which not only murder, rape or kidnap but are involved in the importation of arms into Nigeria. Here is the governor of Kano State, Abdullahi Ganduje. We have to take some drastic measures, otherwise we are just scratching the problem on the back. We must understand these issues. As of now, there are ECOWAS problems. There must be a means of either registering the cattle that are coming into Nigeria or preventing the movement of cattle into Nigeria. Initially, they were coming with weapons to protect themselves, but now they have taken advantage coming with weapons that they sell into the country part of using the weapons to commit crime. During the debate on the floor of the National Assembly, Dachonk Bagos from Plateau State noted that while no one is allowed to bear sophisticated arms, the words of leaders should be seasoned with salt to avoid whipping up ethnic hostility. The constitution does not grant any individual or group of people the right to bear sophisticated arms. But that if all public officials, regardless of their positions or status, are not cautioned against inciting or provoking the general public, the already tense situation in the country will lead to open hostilities. To this, the Speaker of the House of Representatives, Femi Bajabia Mila, lent his voice and called on leaders to observe caution in what they say on the issues. 
I urge all of those who have large followership of people who listen to them and respect their voices to be more circumspect about the, the language they use and the conversations they enable. And to political leaders, we have a greater responsibility to keep the peace in our country. And to do that, we must first commit ourselves to the cause of equal justice and fair treatment for all. Senator Chimaruke Namani, whose community has suffered tremendously in the hand of Hesman, took time to reel out statistics of the various atrocities committed by the murderous Fulani cattle herders within a given period. We have a national crisis on our hands. Between May 2017 and May 2020, there have been 654 attacks, 2,539 killed, 393 wounded, 253 kidnapped, 16 raped, 7,582 homes destroyed. That is an analysis that has been done on what has happened in this country. And I listen to us here. For us to be saying that they're not Nigerians, it's an indictment on our leadership. That people are coming into this country, they're maiming our people, they're killing our people, they're raping our people, and it's not acceptable. Many communities, angered by the atrocities, loss of peace and security, inability to continue with their daily economic activities for fear of being kidnapped, raped, or killed by Fulani headsmen, confronted the heavily armed Fulani cattle herders to evacuate their communities. What is certain is that these killer headsmen have been identified to be of foreign extractions who speak Bambara and French languages only. The Fulani of Nigerian extractions are not known to be violent. The presence of these foreign brands have heightened a devastating banditry and insecurity across Nigeria. From Lagos, I am Colin Sosato in before Channel African News. Now, political tension and fear is rising high in Somalia, stoking fear of mass protests and violence due to the illegal stay in power by President President Mohammed Mohammed Abdullahi, also known as Famajo. His unilateral decision to continue ruling Somalia follows failure by the Horn of African Nation to hold a presidential election after his five-year term ended this month. James Shimanyula spoke to Mohammed Ismail Abdinur, an expert on political and military issues in the Horn of Africa, and he compiled this report. The situation remains tense in Somalia, where President Mohamed Abdullahi Mohamed, also known as Famajo, is illegally staying in power after presidential election failed to take place in the country on the 8th of this month. In fact, Famajo has unilaterally decided to extend his rule for an unspecified period, triggering fear that mass protests are likely to happen, resulting in violence. Already leaders in two of Somalia's five federal states, Puntland and Jubaland, have announced that they will no longer recognize President Famajo. And to make matters worse, leaders of Somalia's opposition alliance have rejected President Famajo's unilateral decision to extend his term of rule. Now the leaders are planning to elect a transitional leader to govern until a new president is chosen by the country's lawmakers. To get the nitty-gritty of the current situation in Somalia, I spoke to Mohammed Abdinur Ismail, an expert on political and military issues in the Horn of Africa. And this is how Abdinur summarized the situation. There is tension and there is fear because of opposition who are not trusting the government, current government which is led by Mr. Farmajo, and also those uh, head of states from Jubaland, Puntiland. They are not trusting the government of Farmajo that will 
do a fair and free elections. In Somalia, we have the central government which is in charge of the whole nation called Somalia. And it's a federal government. Those are regional government. They're not mandated to do what the national government can do. They are in charge of their internal affairs. The federal government, it is part of the national government. So that is the link between the national government and the federal government. It's a devolved government. This government, after the fallout of the previous government, Mohamed Siad Barre, after so many years there was a civil war, here in Kenya and Djibouti and Ethiopia tried to build a stronger Somalia and they realized that the only way that Somali can be rebuilt is just to do the federalism because there was this civil war tribe. You know, Somalis have many clans and the problem was every clan wants to lead that nation. So that is the time they realized that the only solution and the best way to stabilize Somalia is to build federalism. Latest developments in Somalia come at a time when the Horn of Africa nation has expelled Kenyan diplomats on allegation that the authorities in Nairobi are politically supporting opposition leaders that have fallen foul of President Famagyo. The expulsion of the diplomats apparently means relations between Kenya and Somalia are at a low ebb. The question that I put to expert Abdinur is whether or not now that relations between Kenya and Somalia are law, relations remain strong between Somalia and the other neighboring countries. Somalia and Ethiopia now, because of the Farmajo, who is the current president of Somalia, have a good relationship economically, politically, and also security-wise. Now, Farmajo and Abiye are also their best friends. And Sudan and Djibouti, they are worried about that relationship between Eritrea, Somalia, and Ethiopia because of security and self-interest. When I come back to Kenyan interest, eh, before the dispute even, Kenya and Somalia are neighbors and they have a long border. Kenyan has an interest in Somalia, especially the way the Farmajo government now are accusing Kenyan government that they want to declare Jubal and Kismayo to be part of Kenya. So Farmajo and his team are suspicious that Kenya wants Kismayo. Kenya wants Kismayo to be part of Kenya and snatched from Somalia. Exactly, that is the fear they have the government of Farmajo, while Kenya they are denying that. Telling us about the conflict between Kenya and Somalia and how it started forcing the authorities in Mogadishu to expel Kenyan diplomats, expert Abdinur said. And that report by James Shimanyula, you are listening to Africa Rise and Shine. A lot is happening in as far as markets are concerned. But to tell us more, here is Tabisuliuku with the latest economic news. A very good morning. A European company has instructed Air Namibia to return two of its biggest aeroplanes this week after the government's decision to shut the airline down. Air Namibia's current fleet includes two leased Airbus A330-200 aircraft, two Airbus A319-100 planes and four Embraer ER-135s. The 244-seater A330-200 is the biggest aircraft in the airline's ranks and was often used for the Ventuk-Frankfurt route. 
The Competition Tribunal of South Africa says at least 640 jobs will be saved from the merger it approved in which Daveland Cash and Carry will acquire certain stores owned by Mass Cash. Mass Cash is controlled by MassMart Holdings. The tribunal says in a statement that employees of the target stores will be transferred in terms of section 197 of the labor relations act and the conditions of their employment will not be negatively affected the national union of metal workers of south africa has confirmed that three asolomital employees who went missing after tuesday's explosion at the Funderbill park plant have died africa's biggest steel producer says a portion of a stack at one of the operations coke factories fell into a control room where the three employees were working. Asela Mittal says a full investigation will be instituted to understand the cause of the incident. NIMSA's CDBN Regional Secretary, Gabelo Ramokhatadi, says that the bodies of the three workers have been recovered. Losses to the family and friends uh, of the deceased. Three employees who were trapped in the morning yesterday around 2 o'clock. In fact, we were informed that there was an explosion at the Cocoven at Vanderbilt Park plant where three employees were trapped. I just arrived this morning at uh, around 1 o'clock and then, then obviously the at that time, the two bodies were found, and the other one have just been found. So all three bodies were found, and they've been removed from that workplace. Insurance and investments firm Sunlam Namibia has opened its entrepreneurial support program called the Sunlam Bridge. The program is a launchpad for Namibia's future business leaders who have innovative and exciting business ideas, but... They lack necessity, they lack necessity, necessary resources to return their ideas into reality. Now, the Sunland Bridge is a revamp of the previous Sunland Innovation Works program. Jaguar Land Rover has announced the plans to cut about 2,000 jobs from its current workforce globally over the next year. The company says it has started a full review as it prepares to become a more agile organization. It comes after the car maker confirmed its Jaguar brand will be all electric by 2025 and that it will keep all its three of its UK plants open. The firm says the job losses from its worldwide workforce will not affect manufacturing stuff. The US dollar trades at 378.45 Nigerian Nara. It's at 1072 Botswana Pula, 108.69 Kenyan Shilling and 2164 Zambian Kwacha. In BRICS currencies, I'm starting in Brazil. One US dollar trades at 5 rule 38. Russia, 73 rubles 77. India, 72 rupees 76. China, 6 yuan 45. And in South Africa, a dollar is trading at 14 rand 69. The US dollar is also trading at 72 pence to the British pound and 82 cents to euro. Gold, $1,783 and platinum, $1,278 per ounce brand. Crude oil is at $65.13 a barrel. Africa rise and shine. It is time for Sports News with Fiki Leligwati.
First up, Pina Sports is tennis. Naomi Osaka ended Serena Williams' bid for the record equal in 24th Grand Slam title in a storm of power hitting today, humbling the American great 6-3-6-4 to reach her second Australian Open final. In a rematch of the Chumal Chas 2018 US Open decider, Osaka underlined her status as the new queen of women's tennis and soaked up the cheers from the Rod Laver Arena crowd as fans returned to the Grand Slam after a five-day lockdown. Three times Grand Slam champion Osaka will meet the winner of Jennifer Brady and Karolina Muchova in the title match. South Africa's Raven Klassen and Juan Rolofse survived a second set scare to beat Vit Kopriva and Vaclav Safranek of the Czech Republic. They have to progress to the semifinals at the Porch Open ongoing in South Africa's Northwest Province. Klassen and Rulofse prevailed 7-6-6-4-6-10-4 in a match that took an hour and 27 minutes on center court. Klassen and Rulofse will face off against third seed Temuraz Gabashvili of Russia and Mark Vervoet from the Netherlands in the semifinal round. Rafael Nadal saw his bid for the 21st Grand Slam title end as Greek fifth seed Stefanos Tsitsipas fought back from two sets down to reach the Australian Open semi-finals on Wednesday. The Spanish second seed was stunned as Tsitsipas claimed a 3-6, 2-6, 7-6, 7-4 tie, 6-4 and 7-5 victory in Melbourne. Tsitsipas will face Russia's Daniel Medvedev in Friday's semi-final. I'm speechless. I have um, no words to describe what just happened out of the court. My tennis picks out for itself. It's um, an unbelievable feeling to be able to fight at such a level and um, just be able to um, leave it my all out in the court. Today's uh, performance was... Uh, I, st- I started very nervous, I won't lie. But um, I don't know what happened after the third set. I just... Uh, I fly like a little bird. Everything was working for me, and I think uh, the emotions at the very end are uh, indescribable. Ethiopian teenager Lemlen Hailu ruthlessly outkicked top-ranked Beatrice Chepkwayech of Kenya to win the women's 3,000-meter race at the World Athletics Indoor Gold Meeting in Turin in Poland last night. Two other Ethiopian athletes posted straight victories in the women's 800-meters and men's 1,500-meter races. And finally, football news. Egyptian Football Association EFA has refused to host Kaiser Chiefs and Wydad Athletic Club for their postponed CAF Champions League encounter. In yet another twist within the logistical nightmare around Chiefs' Champions League group stage debut, the EFA has come out to apologize to the Confederation of African Football for agreeing to host the game. The EFA has now issued a statement claiming they are unable to honor the fixture because Al-Akhli face Al-Gaish in the Egyptian Premier League encounter on the same day. That's the Sport News this hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorna. Africa, Amuka, Na Unai. 
Recapping our top stories this hour, UN chief calls for a global plan to reverse unfair vaccine access. COVID-19 vaccine rollout gets underway across South Africa and Namibia told to return two of its biggest planes. And that concludes Africa Rise and Shine for today from myself, Kumbaro Mjellere, producer Pumuzara Magadza, technical producer Tumelo Mukwena, and the rest of the team. Thank you for listening. And we are playing out with a song called The Gambia by Sona Jobate as the Gambia commemorates the 55th anniversary of the country's independence. Have a fantastic day, Feather. Cheers.